All right. Good morning and welcome to Church on the Couch, week number eight. Uh, this is officially eight weeks of running sermons uh, online, uh, running our church virtually. Everything we used to do in the building, we now do uh, online. Um, sermons, uh, it's, it's been a little weird preaching sermons this way. Uh, sermons uh, are where if, if, if I was particularly horrible one day, you actually, you can't wait in the foyer and sabotage me. You have to send me an email. So to some degree, there's some safety in preaching uh, an online service. Um, if you give me one second here, I forgot to turn my laptop off. And I'm back. I could hear myself talking about 20 seconds delayed in the background, so that was perfect. Um, anyways, I hope you're still doing well in the middle of all this. Uh, I hope that as the spring has turned to summer and you start to see some uh, days like this where we actually see sunshine and where it'll be warm enough to be outside, I hope you're still able to enjoy some of that outside beauty uh, in a safe way. Uh, but I hope we're able to, to get outside as, as people and, and enjoy some of that fresh air. Today we're going to carry on our series looking at the trustworthy sayings of Paul. Uh, we've already done the first two trustworthy sayings, and so today we look at trustworthy saying number three. Uh, but before we start any of that, why don't we just open up with a word of prayer. Oh Lord, we just thank you for the ability, Lord, to carry on as a church. Even though, Lord, our buildings are, are shut down, uh, Lord, the church is still alive. God, we're still alive. We're still, we're still out there. We're still thriving. We're still your hands and we're still your feet and we're still called to go and serve, to go and be sent, to go and be ambassadors for your name. Lord, we thank you that technology has made it so that even though, God, we can't see each other face to face, we can still see each other over the computer screen. We can still interact with one another. We can still fellowship and encourage and bless one another. We thank you for that. Lord, we just ask that you would continue to, to work in the middle of this pandemic. God, that you would continue to, to use this, even this, uh, this trying time for many people, that you would still even use this for your glory and you would use this to bring you praise. And Lord, may we be a part of that in some way. Father, may you use us. God, if we're struggling with how to be your hands and your feet right now, if we're struggling because we feel isolated behind shut doors, then Father, help us, teach us, show us how you want us to be used, how you want us to serve you in the middle of this. If it's just an encouraging email and an encouraging phone call, or, or if we can get out there and do something by serving people physically, Lord, show us what you're calling us to do. Lord, we just ask that you would continue to be with all of our frontline nurse, or workers, Father. Our doctors, our nurses, our, our cleaners, our, our other healthcare workers. Lord, our garbage men, people who are out there every single day risking and working so that our society can continue going. Father, would you just continue to be with them? Would you bless them? Would you watch over them? And Lord, would you be with those vulnerable people, Lord, the elderly and the shut-in, Lord, the recovering from, from surgeries, the, the, the sick, Lord, would you be with them? Would you put an extra hedge of protection around them? And just, Lord, would you just keep them safe in the middle of this? And Father, wherever we are today, whether we're in our living room, our bedroom, whether we're at the kitchen table, or whether we're in a completely empty church building, Lord, we know that you are there, but would you make your presence known? Would we, would we feel your presence today, Father? Would we be reminded that even in the, of, in the middle of a world that is upside down and completely different, that, Lord, you remain the same, that you are constant, that you haven't changed. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for the many blessings you continue to pour out on us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think my battery has died. 
Oh, the, the camera. Is it, is it shut off? Okay. Will you just bear with us for a second? You can still hear me, but you cannot see me. Maybe that's even better. You, can't even, you, don't have to, you don't have to stare at my face the whole time. You can just listen to me. We will have the battery changed shortly, and we will be back up and running, and you'll be able to reintegrate. So just give us a couple seconds here. Okay, we think we've got it sorted. Ryan is just going to double check. Um, if you are able to see again, if you would just throw a comment that you can see or you can't see again, and uh, hopefully we will know. Um, oh, he's running back, so it might not be set yet. He's running back again. I think we might have got it. This is the nature of doing things live. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> there's not a whole lot we can prepare for. It just happens. We're, we'll be, we're going to get this fixed, I promise you. Okay, we think we're good. If you, uh, if you can now see us and you can hear us and everything is good, just throw a, uh, a thumbs up or uh, all good in the comments so Ryan can know that the live stream is all sorted. He's, uh, he's rather winded. He just sprinted up and back four times, so uh, <laughs> he, he might need a breather back there. But anyways, um, we're moving on to uh, number three. Oh, perfect. I just got a text messaging where we're all good. Um, we're moving on to trustworthy saying number three today. And uh, so if you've been keeping up with the last couple sermons, uh, you'll know that the first two trustworthy sayings have been found in uh, the first letter of Paul to Timothy, the first Timothy. And this third one is actually also found in first Timothy. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, saying number four we'll look at next week comes from second Timothy. And the fifth saying comes from the letter to Titus. Uh, so the first three sayings, uh, the trustworthy sayings, are all found in 1 Timothy. If you have your Bible handy with you, uh, could you turn with me to 1 Timothy, and we're in chapter 4. We're going to read verses 6 to 10. So that's 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 10. And today I'm going to read from the NIV again. So it says, If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. 
For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is in the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Now this uh, third trustworthy saying, we see it right there. We see it mixed in in the middle of all those verses. We see it in verse 8. But this one is a little bit different in form than the other two, so it might throw you off. And you might have noticed how it's a little bit different if you're familiar with the saying. The saying itself, this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance, we find that written in verse 9. So that's in verse 9. In the previous two ones we've looked at, the saying itself, or the thing that is the, the worthy of full acceptance, comes after that, that saying of Paul. So the thing that is worthy of full acceptance comes after it says, this is a saying that is worthy of full acceptance. But in this instance, it actually comes beforehand. It makes it especially confusing because in some translations, for example, the NIV, uh, which I just read from, verse 9 is not a standalone sentence. Verse 9 and verse 10 are mixed together. So they go together as one sentence, and in the middle of that is a trustworthy saying that applies to the sentence beforehand. And so perhaps your translation is like that, and it can get a bit confusing. Perhaps they're one sentence, and it gives you the appearance that the trustworthy saying is the second part, which is verse 10. But that's not true. Linguistically, and if you look at form and in the way that it would be written in the original Greek, the trustworthy saying is the stuff that we see in verse 8. The way that it's written is that which comes before is the trustworthy saying, the thing worthy of full acceptance. So the trustworthy saying that we're talking about today is the part that says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. This is the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Now, that might seem a bit confusing that it's written like that, but I promise you that people much wiser, wiser than I, commentators, other pastors, people much more intelligent and learned than I, have all agreed that that's the way it's supposed to be read, that when it's written in the Greek, that's what it means. So we have the saying today. Physical training is of some value, but godliness or godly training has value for all things. Now, there are four points in this message that I don't want to look at. I want to break apart. And I think they're really important parts, and they're all related. The first two are very closely related, and the last two are very closely related. So we're going to start with the first point that Paul makes in this saying. First point he says is that physical training is of some value. So bodily discipline is of benefit or is of some value or is, is beneficial. Now, this is something that I think people really tend to miss. Paul says physical training is of some value. That's really important because what he doesn't say is that physical training is of no value. When I was in first and second year at Bible college, there were a group of guys uh, my age, some were second year or third year, but I went as I was a little bit older. So there were a group of guys my age that were really into working out. They liked working out at the gym. They liked hitting the gym. And, and I liked the gym. I'd been an athlete my entire life, so I really liked this idea of going to work out. And there was a gym actually five minutes from my Bible college. It was one street over, and it was, this was the most run-down gym you could ever imagine. It was falling apart. Uh, the washrooms never worked. If you tried to flush any of the urinals, everything flooded. It was just, just a dilapidated mess. But it was super cheap, which is really key for a Bible college student. So almost every morning, a few friends of mine, we'd wake up, and we'd head over to the gym for a workout before class. 
In third year, actually, we took this to the next level where one of the guys who would do this with us, uh, him and I upped the ante. We got up extra early. And we started to wake up earlier than everyone else, and we would drive up to the University of Waterloo, and we would get into their pool, and before school started, we would go for a swim workout. And we would go get this really great swim workout, and then he would stay up there for school, and I would drive back, go to the gym, and then go to school. I love the gym, and I still do. One of the things that I miss most about this pandemic is the ability to go to the gym. See, the gym, we saw it then as a time to work on our bodies, to make some physical changes, some, some health changes, some personal fitness improvements. In the first year, we actually even used it uh, as a fellowship time, a time of even discipleship and prayer. We would start our workouts with a group prayer. We'd gather together in the little yoga room, and we'd start with a little group prayer, and we would pray for one another, and then we'd go out and we'd work out. And it was great because we'd, we just started with prayer, and then we would go and we would spend this time encouraging one another and pushing each other on, and we would really grow together as brothers in faith. Those workouts, especially the first year, were really formative times for me. But see, there were a few people at Emmanuel who didn't like that. I remember hearing from one of them that really didn't like that we were doing that. I remember this one person, they were saying to me that what we were doing was vain. What we were doing was, was prideful. That we were working out and that was equivalent to vanity and that was a sin because we were only concerned with how we looked. What they said was, what this person said was, when you work out, you're being vain and you're selfish because you're just trying to make your muscles bigger uh, or, or, or more sexy so that you'll get more attention and people will look at you and lust over you. And so therefore, working out together like that, that is a sin. And you should not be going to the gym. You should not be doing that. That's sinful. Now, to some degree, there could be some biblical truth to that statement if... We were going to the gym like they do in Muscle Beach. You know, if we were going to a gym that was on the side of the beach and we were, we were taking our shirts off and lifting heavy weights and having everyone look at us, you know, oiling up our bodies like they do on all the, the fitness shows and, and really making this a spectacle for people to stare at us, there could be some truth to what she had said if that was how we were doing it. There's, of course, an extreme to everything. And that's not what we were doing. None of us had the desire to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, as big and muscly as he was. None of us uh, were aiming for that. We were simply trying to improve our bodies. We weren't working out for those things. We were working out for the health benefits. See, this body is temporary. This body is, is it's not eternal. We know that. We know that our body is temporary. We know that it's limited. We know that it starts to break, break down as we get older. When we were a kid, uh, nothing could hurt you when you're a kid. Your bones are practically rubber. If you've had kids or you have kids, you know this. They take a fall and you look at it and you go, and they get up and there's hardly a scrape on them. And you think, well, if I felt like that, I'd be in a hospital bed for six months. You know, now that I'm over 30, I start to realize that when I was younger, I could, you know, I could go to a hockey tournament. I could play five, ten hockey games in a day and then wake up the next day and be ready to do it again, have no problems. Now if I play one hockey game in a week, my legs are feeling it for the next four days and my joints are like a 90-year-old man's joints and I'm walking around hobbling. With, the, with all the knee surgeries that I had, I, I now get the old joke where you can tell when it's going to rain based off your knee because I've had so many knee surgeries that I can tell you when it's going to rain a week in advance. See, your body decays. Your body starts to degrade over time. 
I'm sure we all look at our bodies and what we are now, and we look back to when we were, when we were strapping young teens, and we can all agree that our bodies have degraded a little bit. They have uh, aged, perhaps, like a fine wine. But to see, there is something we can do to, to not speed that process up. We, we might even say it slows it down a little bit, but I'm going to say we can do something that doesn't speed that process of degrading up. And that's called exercise or, or making healthy choices. Exercise is so good for your body in so many ways. It keeps your, your muscles working. It keeps your joints lubricated. It keeps your ligaments and your tendons working properly. It's like owning a car. If you buy a car and you drive it, you need to take care of that car. If you, if you want your car to continue working, you need to do things like do oil changes, filter changes. You need to lubricate it. You're going to have to tighten some nuts and bolts, and you have to replace a couple of parts when they break down. But if you keep it in good shape, it'll keep running. If you take care of it, it'll keep running. It'll last a long time. But if you buy a car, and you buy this car, and you drive it and drive it and drive it, and never do anything like any maintenance, you never do oil changes, you never even wash the car, if you don't replace parts as they start to degrade or break, you're going to find that your car breaks down real quick. And soon your car is undrivable. Your car will stop working entirely. You know, you can look at some of these uh, old cars that you see at car shows, and they're, they look brand new, and it's not because they just sit pristine in a, you know, a uh, vacuum-sealed box. It's because their owners have taken care of them. It's because they've done the maintenance required. It's they've replaced parts when needed. That's what exercise does. Exercise keeps you running in good shape. Exercise is great for your physical body, but also your mental body. There is study after study after study that shows that physical health and mental health are very closely related. One of the number one things that doctors say when you're going through periods of stress or anxiety is to try to get out and do a little bit of personal fitness. Try to get out and go for a nice long walk. Go to the gym if you can. Go do some yoga. Uh, you know, take your dogs out. Enjoy a nice bike ride. It's great for your mental health and will keep you, uh, it lowers the, the risk of anxieties and stressors and all those things. It's what happens in exercise is a chemical called endorphin, or sorry, a chemical endorphin is released, um, and it, it gives you this naturally occurring feel-good system in your body. And so Paul says in this letter, he says, physical training is of some value. So he's saying personal fitness or staying healthy and fit has value. There is value in making healthy choices. There is value in eating the right things. Now, I have to say that those are the words of a wise older man, not a healthy young buck whose body is indestructible. These are the words of someone who is likely starting to feel some of the effects of growing older. And he's saying that to a young man, to young Timothy. He's reminding Timothy, hey, it's important to take care of your body. It's important to take care of your body. Even though your body is temporary and and it's not eternal, it's really important to take care of it because this is the only one you get. This is the one you get, and it's got to last you as long as you're here on earth. So keep your body running smooth. Make healthy choices. Exercise. Eat the right things. Drink lots of water. Get a good night's sleep. Take care of this vehicle. This vehicle is the only one that we get for this lifetime. And that actually brings me to the second point. This is why point number one and two are closely related. But this body, your body, your body is a temple. See, Paul talks about it a little bit, but not outright in this verse. But we know it, that he's implying or referring to it based off of what he says before. But your body is a temple. 
inside this body is, is something eternal. Inside this body is your spirit. Your, your body is temporary, but right now your body houses your spirit. It's a temple. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet your inner man is becoming renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. He says it right there in the very beginning. Your outer man is decaying, yet your inner man is being renewed day by day. So your body is temporary, which houses your spirit, which is eternal. So your body is a temple. Um, this argument of your body, or this point of your body is a temple, loves to get brought up, and loves to get brought up around people, uh, to me especially, uh, around the issue of tattoos. It get brought up all the time around the issue of tattoos. See, I have tattoos. I have lots of tattoos, in fact. You can only see some of them right now, but I have ones that are underneath that you can't see that are all over. And I'll likely, actually, I can promise that I'm going to get more tattoos as we, get, as we go on. I have tattoos right now, one for each of my family members, and as Janice and I add to this family, I'm going to add tattoos. My mother has tattoos. Every time one of her kids has a grandkid, my mother adds to her, her tattoos that she has. My sister has several tattoos. Uh, my wife has several tattoos. My brother Nathan is the smartest guy I know, but also one of the biggest nerds I know. And he has the coolest, most nerdy tattoo I've ever seen in my life. And it is awesome. And it is so unique. And it is so him. My dad doesn't have any tattoos. And he doesn't particularly like tattoos. But the rest of the family, we all have them. And see, even as a pastor, I get it all the time when I meet people, especially other Christians, and they see my tattoos on my hands or on my arms. They see them and they ask, so when did you give your life to Jesus? Uh, when did you stop this and give your life to the Lord? You know, they think that these tattoos, they must have been pre-Jesus. The tattoos had to have been pre-loving Jesus when you were, you were just a sinner and you didn't even know it yet. That's when you had the tattoos, right? And you've stopped getting tattoos since you've loved the Lord, right, Lucas? And then I look at them and I kind of laugh because when I tell them that the ones on my hands are New Testament Greek words for love or examples of my faith, and, and there's other ones that are Bible verses tattooed on me, and other ones are, are reminders of my Christian faith, I already know what they're going to say next. The next words out of their mouth, they're going to say, but Lucas, your body is a temple. Did you not know that? Lucas, your body is a temple. Now, we can talk at a different date about tattoos. We can talk about the verse that I know that they are using, that they're using out of context to imply that I shouldn't have tattoos. We can talk about that at a later date because that's not the point that I want to make. But the point that I want to make is often when someone says to me, Lucas, your body is a temple. Did you not know that? I'm tempted to respond, and I haven't yet, but I'm tempted to respond with, yes, I know mine is, and so is yours. And by the looks of yours, you've been filling your temple with McDonald's and popping chips for 60 years. You've been filling your temple with food that is literally killing you from the inside out, and it shows. See, the point is, is that we love to say your body is a temple. What it is, is accusing someone else's temple of being wrong, but we don't look at our own temple and see what we're doing that's wrong to our temple. 
See, we fill our bodies, we fill our, ourselves with food, like processed food, plastics foods that are quite literally killing us from the inside out. And when we do that, we love to gloss over this verse reminding us that our body is a temple. We, we, we gloss over the fact that food laws are one of the most frequently seen things in the Old Testament. Food laws come up over and over in the Old Testament because they knew it was important what went in you mattered. What went inside of you mattered. And they come up over and over in the New Testament again. Uh, is this idea of food laws, what goes in you matters. And it's for good reason, I think, the food laws are there. See, our food or our, our, what we put in us is literally the fuel that keeps our body running. It's literally the, the thing that keeps our machine working. But sometimes instead of pumping the right fuel in our bodies, we try to fuel our body with Coca-Cola instead. See, often the same people shaming me for having tattoos have diets that largely consist of pop and chips and fast food, and it's super evident. Now, see, I want to be very careful in what I'm saying here because I've spoke on this topic of our food being a problem in Western society and how sometimes weight becomes a problem related to what we eat. And I was accused of fat shaming people, and that's not what I'm doing here. I'm not shaming or fat shaming in any way. As you can tell, my body is no longer the tip-top shape that it used to be. Uh, uh, Janice and I are expecting, I have uh, prematurely engaged my dad bod to to be ready for when we have a child. Uh, I've got a little bit of extra weight around my middle, and, and that's entirely okay. See, it's okay to be a little bit overweight. That's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit overweight. What's not okay is abusing your body so much by what you put in it that you are literally killing yourself from the inside out. You're putting so much garbage into your body that you're quite literally destroying your body by what you're putting in it. Your, bu- your body is, is, is frankly dying faster than it should. Your temple is going to crumble faster than it should because you're not putting the right things inside it. See, it's okay to be a little bit overweight. That's totally fine. And in fact, in, in times, it's actually a little bit healthier to be a little overweight than it is to be underweight. But just like exercising, you can take this to an extreme where it becomes unhealthy. You can take all things to an extreme where it becomes unhealthy. See, I think one of the biggest sins of the Western world has become food, has become gluttony, an addiction to food even. We don't realize it, but we are addicted to food, especially in North America. The other day I was thinking about the Exodus. I was reading a book and it was talking about the Exodus and I, and I was looking at the Exodus and someone had made the point that the Exodus was similar to what we're experiencing now and I didn't see the p- comparison and so I was thinking about it and I was thinking about similarities and how our society, our, our world right now would react if we were in the Exodus. How would Christians today react if we were in the Exodus that uh, they experienced? And I actually chuckled. I laughed out loud because I was thinking about the idea of God providing us with manna and, and that being it, right? I can just imagine day one, the, the, the God provides and the manna is there and, and we're okay and we gather it up and, and we eat it and it's, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing food in the middle of a desert. Thank you very much. By day two and day three, we're thinking, okay, like, is this all we're getting? Like this bread? Like this is all we're going to get? This is going to be a little bit bland here, God, like just bread? I don't know. I, we'll see, God. How long can I get on bread? And by day four and day five, we're probably saying things like, hey, God, like, do you have any dipping sauce to go with this bread? Like, do you have any garlic parmesan dip? Uh, or how about some hot sauce I could put on this? 
or God, you know, it's getting a bit much of just water. Like, how about some Mountain Dew every once in a while? Could you, could you mix in a Diet Cola? Like, could you throw a little bit of, you know, some vitamin water or a Gatorade 2 out? That would be great, God, if you could do some of that. You know, saying things like, God, any chance you have any cheese to melt on this bread? You know, that would go really well. And God, I think you forgot about dessert. Like, we haven't had dessert in days, God. Like, I haven't had pumpkin pie in forever. You know, I, I think about that and I laugh and then it makes me sad that I think that it's true. We would react like that. We would be literally provided free food in the desert. And I think we would complain that there wasn't enough variety or wasn't enough sugars to go with it. Sometimes we become so obsessed with food that it starts to control us. That's why a few months ago when we talked about fasting, I said this would probably be one of the hardest things that we would do as Christians. I said this would probably be one of the hardest things, and it's probably one of the most neglected things in the church, is fasting. Because we've become so addicted and controlled by food that it controls us. But the point Paul is making here is that, is that your body is a temple. Your body is the thing that which houses your spirit. And so you need to take care of your body. You need to take care of that temple. You need to keep it in good shape. You need to keep it running so that your body will last as long as it can so that God can use you as long as he has planned for. You need to keep your body in good shape, keep it running well. Now, we can argue at a later date about whether the temple should have outside art on it or not, and that's fine. We can argue about that. Um, But the point that Paul is making here is that your body is a temple, and so take care of it. And see, this is where Paul moves on. He says physical training is of some value, and he says but. He says third point, he says godliness is valuable for all things, or godliness is profitable for all things. Physical training is good for this life, but godliness is also really good for this life, is what he says. He says, godliness has value for this life and the next. See, godliness is quite literally being shaped in the image of God, or being like God in character and in action. Not being like God in that we can smite down things and judge people, but like God in how we show love and mercy and kindness. Like God in how we love others, how we show patience, how we're willing to serve and encourage and bless others, how we, how, how we take the gospel to others. See, as important as taking care of your physical body is, Paul says taking care of your inner person is even more important. Taking care of your inner person is even more important. It's an even bigger priority. Your inner person is your spirit, your character, your personality, taking care of that. Shape your spirit in the image of God. Paul says that is the most important. Now, we call this shaping your spirit in the image of God. We call it spiritual formation. And it literally means forming your spirit to be like God's or forming your spirit to be shaped after God's. See, for our physical fitness, we have exercises. You know, if, if you want to become a little bit healthier, go for a walk. You can go for a walk daily and you'll improve your cardiovascular endurance and do some great things for your heart and your lungs. And so we have things we can do to get our bodies physically in better shape. But how do you get your spirit in better shape? How, what can you do to make your spirit in better shape? Well, like bodily discipline, we have spiritual discipline as well. In fact, we just spent almost two months looking at spiritual disciplines. There are lots of things that we can do to form our spirits, our character, our inner persons in the image of God. We spoke at length on most of those things, so I'm not going to go into too much detail about the spiritual disciplines. Suffice to say, it is important that we do those things. It's 
Things like worship, prayer, serving others, fellowshipping with other believers, studying the Scriptures, you know, meditating on God's Word, spending time in silence listening for God, spending time alone seeking out God, confessing our failures to others who we trust, submitting to others, fasting. That's how we do spiritual discipline. And when we do spiritual discipline, it has the same effects as bodily discipline, only on our spirit. It improves our spiritual health. It improves how our spirit works. If you didn't get one of our spiritual disciplines handbooks, uh, we created those and uh, we, we handed them out. If you didn't get one and you'd like one, they're available on our website under resources. Or if you just email the main office at avenueroad@rogers.com, uh, we'll make sure we get you one. We'll make sure we get you a spiritual disciplines handbook. In there, it's those things, it's got insights and ideas and a little bit of background into the spiritual disciplines and what they do for you. It's those things, it's the disciplines that, that we do for our spirit that form those good habits and that shape us in the image of God. See, spiritual discipline is, is like bodily discipline in a lot of ways. You know, going to the gym once is not going to make you a personal trainer. Just like reading your Bible once is not going to make you a biblical expert. You know, running on the treadmill one time for five minutes is not enough preparation for a marathon. Just like spending five minutes in prayer once a week is not enough prayer for the spiritual battle that we are in as Christians. So the point is, is that just like bodily discipline takes time, spiritual discipline takes time as well. You have to work at it. Spiritual discipline, it's hard work, but it works. It helps you in this life because when you do it in this life, you get closer to God in this life. You see, you see things through God's eyes easier. It's easier to see the world as Jesus sees it when you're such in close step with Jesus. When you walk side by side with him daily, you start to see the world like he does. You start to hear him calling you easier. You start to see where he wants you and where his purposes for you are. He profits you in this life because you become more equipped to withstand the storm, more equipped to, to withstand when, when life gets tough. It's easier to stand up if you're spiritually disciplined. If you've been disciplining your inner person, training yourself up in godliness, you're more ready to handle all that life will throw at you. Just like if you look at an NHL player, but they prepare for their games with, with lots of workouts and training and exercises and all this thing, all this practice and hard work goes to prepare them for the game. As opposed to the guy who played street hockey once and thinks he can compete with Sidney Crosby and, and you know Austin Matthews, he thinks he can take those guys on, it's not going to work. They've been training their entire lives for this. And so we need to train our entire lives for spiritual battles. We need to be spiritually formed every day. Just like preparing for a marathon, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of dedication and effort, but it's worth it. And the rewards are in this life and the next. Spiritual discipline is vastly more important than bodily discipline is. And Paul makes that really clear. And that's the, right, and the, reason, sorry, the reason why Paul says that it is more important is our last point for the day, and that's because godliness is profitable for eternity. Godliness is profitable not just for this life, but for the next. Godly training is not profitable just for this life, but also for the next. See, physical discipline is only profitable for this life. But godliness prepares us for an eternity spent with God. 
by training yourself up in godliness now, by preparing your spirit now and forming it in the image of God now, you're preparing for an eternity sitting at the feet of Jesus worshiping. No amount of bodily discipline can change whether you spend eternity with God or you spend eternity apart from God, but godly discipline can change that. Spiritual discipline can change that. See, to pamper your body or your physical body and take such good care of your physical body, but to ignore your spirit is to like to spending all your time carrying after an ice sculpture in the middle of June when you know you're going to put it outside in the middle of the day. You know that that ice sculpture is going to melt. You know that soon enough that ice sculpture is going to be gone. So there's no point spending so much time and effort caring just for that because it will go away soon. See, soon our bodies will be gone. Soon we will no longer have these bodies. It says in heaven we'll be given a new body, a different body, one that was created for eternity. So, so we need this one. We need this one to last because it's got to get us to the end of the race and it's got to last so that we can keep being God's hands and feet now. But at some point we leave this body behind and only our spirit carries on. Only our spirit goes into, into the next and so, yes, take care of your physical body, but it's so much more important to take care of your spiritual body because that one lasts forever. It's one phrase of Jesus in the Bible that scares me more than any other phrase, anything else Jesus says. This one terrifies me more. And it's in Matthew 7. It's in verses 21 to 23. Jesus says, On that day, meaning the day that you stand before him, he says, Many will call me Lord, Lord. And many will say, do we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not prophesy in your name? And do we not do deeds in your name? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Go away from me. I never knew you. See, that's the most terrifying thing in the entire universe, I think. To stand in front of Jesus, to stand in front of the God uh, who created everything, to stand in front of the man who died on the cross for you, at the end of your life, and to have him say, I never knew you. Go away from me. See, that's terrifying. But what makes it more terrifying is he's not saying that to non-Christians. He's saying that to people who call him Lord, Lord. That means us. He's saying that to people who sit in church pews on Sunday and call themselves Christians. Basically, this verse is saying many Christians will stand in front of Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, how's it going? Like, Jesus, look at how much I did in my life for you. And Jesus will say, I don't even know who you are. Who are you? It'd be like sending that text message to a friend and getting the one back that says, new phone, who dis? Right? Jesus won't even recognize you. That's because people are forgetting to train themselves up in godliness. We're forgetting to spend as much time working on our inner persons as we do on our outer persons. We're so focused on this life, this temporary physical life, we forget that there is a spirit inside us that we need to prepare. We need to attune to God. We need to shape after God. See, spiritual discipline is so much more important than bodily discipline. If I neglect my body, my physical body, there will be earthly consequences and it may not last as long as I need it to. But if I neglect my spirit, there are eternal consequences. So in the words of Paul, physical training has some value, but godly training, godliness, has every value for this life and also the next one. So are you training yourself for godliness? 
When you stand in front of Jesus at the end of your life, will he look at you coming from afar? Will he recognize you? Will he see you as a close friend? Or will you get in front of Jesus and he'll say, who are you? I don't know you. So the choice is ours. The choice is ours what we do with this life. The choice is ours whether we spend time training our spirit as well as our body. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your words. Jesus, we thank you for the ability that we can work on our spirit. We can draw near to you as you draw near to us. We can come the other way, Father. And so we thank you that uh, even if, Lord, we've neglected our spiritual body, you haven't forgotten. You haven't moved on. You haven't said good riddance, Lord, that you just, you still call us. You still call us close. You still earnestly desire a close relationship with us. So, Lord, if we have neglected training our spirit, Father, we are sorry. But teach us how to, teach how to be better at that. Lord, as we try to train up our spirits, as we try to shape our spirits in the image of you, as we try to shape ourselves to be shaped after you, help us. Lord, challenge us. Lord, like, like, a, like a sculptor, chisel away at the parts of our life that we need to shed. Chisel away at the parts of our life that we need to let go and just leave in the past and move on from. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in us. And we ask that you would continue to help us be shaped in your image. Lord, when we are weak and we are unable to do it, Lord, would you take a step closer to us and pull us? Would you help carry us? Would you just make it a little bit easier for us, Lord, when we're struggling? Lord, would you push us when we're being lazy? Would you challenge us when we're just simply not doing it? Lord, would you give us that push of encouragement that we need to get up and go and shape ourselves in your image? Lord, as we draw closer to you, would you draw closer to us? Would we hear your voice? Would we recognize your face? Would we get into a closer relationship with you, Jesus? We thank you, Lord, for all you do and all you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.